Right worship of God begins with fear of God and results in walking according to God's commands. What is worship that pleases God? How can we be people who, who seek to worship God rightly? How can we seek to honor God the way that he deserves to be honored? Often when we think of worship, we think of music. We think of voices joined together in praise to our Lord and God. And it's a wonderful thing to sing truth to God and to hear others sing as well. But just a question to consider if a, if a non-Christian professional singer, professional vocalist can sing the words to Amazing Grace and it sounds great, is that worship? Many famous singers have their own renditions of a few classic hymns such as Amazing Grace. Are they worshiping God? And I would imagine your gut feeling would be no. That a non-Christian professional singer belting out amazing grace to an audience is, is not worshiping God. But, but why? It, it has to start with the heart attitude, doesn't it? It starts with what this person believes about God and if this person is truly seeking to worship God. Is this person seeking to honor God with this song or seeking to honor himself or herself? Whether it is with singing or with other everyday activities, God is looking at our hearts. And if God is not first in our hearts, our, our actions are going to show it. This morning we're continuing with the second sermon in our, our series in the book of Malachi. Here we come to the second disputation in the book of Malachi. We can think of this almost like a debate, but each time the Israelites are, are not able to make much of a case. God makes a statement, Israel answers with a question, God responds, and then God expands on his response. God has examined the hearts of the priests of Israel, and their dishonor of God will be made very clear. At first, when we think of the sins of the priests of Israel, that might feel quite distant from us. We do live in a different time and age. But as we continue to study this passage, we may find that, that we can relate more than we would like to admit. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6 to 2, verse 9. So Malachi, chapter 1. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's a short book. If you flip the page to Matthew, flip back to the end of the Old Testament. The beginning of Malachi set the stage for the rest of the book by clearly stating God's covenant love for his people Israel. And yet, even though God loves Israel in this way, we will see several more times in the book of Malachi that the people of Israel have not responded to God's love as they should. So listen as I read Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, verse 9. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? 
And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For in my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I, I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Did you notice God's attitude towards the priests? God is very much displeased. Did you notice the priests' attitude towards God? They show a, a lack of respect to the God they claim to serve. The tone of this passage is very serious in considering the crimes that God's priests are committing. I'd like to sum up the main idea of this passage in, in one sentence, and that is this. Right worship of God begins with fear of God and results in walking according to God's commands. Right worship of God begins with fear of God and results in walking according to God's commands. This sermon will be split up into three points. Point one is God's name dishonored in verses 6 to 14. Point two is God's warning to the priests Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and skipping down to verses 8 and 9. 
And point three is God's picture of a true priest. Chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. The way that these points are connected to the main point is in considering that point one, God's name being a dishonored, and point two, God's warning to the priests is a result of the lack of right worship of God. The third point, God's picture of a true priest, is a picture of right worship of God. Let's begin with point one, God's name dishonored. This first point will be the longest point, as this section of the passage is longer. Look again with me at chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, and reading until the first section of verse 14. Oh, reading until verse 14. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. In walking through the structure of this section, we'll first look at God's statement in the form of rhetorical questions. Second, the priest's questions to God. Third, God's response. And fourth, God's continued explanation. So the structure of the, the disputation is found in the, this first point, with the next two points continuing to expand on God's admonishment and God's teaching. So first, God asks two rhetorical questions in order to make a point. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am the master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. In the Old Testament, we have images of God calling Israel his son. We also have images of God calling Israel his servant. That's why Israel calls God Lord, their Lord and Master. God has a special relationship with Israel as we considered in the very first section of Malachi, chapter 1. But if God treats Israel as his son, then, then shouldn't Israel treat God like a father? And if God has authority over Israel like, like a master, then shouldn't Israel act like a good servant? The point is clear. A son is, is meant to honor his father. And we understand this in different cultures. 
In Chinese culture, the, the son carries on his family name to the next generation. And it's more than just a name, right? The son is meant to bring honor to his family and honor to his father. If you, if you watch TV shows set in ancient China, you see the relationship between emperors and their sons. If the son who is next in line to become emperor does not bring honor to his father by his actions, he will quite likely be removed from that next in line position. And another son who actually honors his father will become the future emperor. The expectation that sons honor their fathers is a clear expectation that cultures around the world and throughout history have held. So why is it that Israel, in particular the priests, would not honor God? Next in, in, is God's question in regards to the master-servant relationship. A servant should fear his master. There should be a deep respect and understanding of the authority of the master. The servants of an emperor would never dare to complain or grumble to the emperor to his face. If the servants of an emperor disobeyed the clear command of an emperor, it's quite likely that at best they would lose their position. Quite possibly they would lose their lives. So how is it that Israel, and in particular the priests, would not fear God? But it seems that the priests still do not understand that they have done wrong. They're blind to their sin. Perhaps they're thinking, well, well, at least we're not leading the Israelites to go worship other idols. And so second in the structure, the priests question God. The priests ask, how have we despised your name? The priests are supposed to be experts in God's law. One would think it would be clear to them if they have broken God's law. But it isn't. And so they ask, how have we despised your name? In thinking on God's name, we're thinking on more than just a name. We're thinking on the God who, when Moses asked God's name, answered by saying, I am who I am. We're to consider God's awesomeness and God's reputation. This is not the only question the priest asks. There's a back and forth question and answer, question and answer. God answers their first question, how have we despised your name, by saying, by offering polluted food upon my altar. And yet the priests still don't get it. The priests still do not see their sin or at least not willing to admit it. And so they ask, how have we polluted you? I can imagine a, a parent telling their child, look at the mess you've made. And the child looking at a knocked over trash can and Legos on the floor and crayons and dirty tissue paper, asking, what mess? Or the police officer pulling over a car that ran through a red light comes up to you and asks you, oh, did you see the red light? And you're like, what red light? But if we're honest, I think we can relate to God stating clear truth to us that points out our sin, that, that we do this kind of thing, don't we? That, that we ignore it, or we forget about it, or, or we try to make light of it. It's such a dangerous thing to be blind to our own sin, but, but it's God's mercy as well to, to point out to the priests their sin so that they will not continue in their blindness. He wants to make their sin crystal clear to them. And so third, in, in this structure, God responds to the priests. He answers their questions. God answers how they've despised God's name by offering polluted food 
how they've polluted God by saying that the Lord's table may be despised, by offering blind animals in sacrifice, lame and sick animals. It is here that God states clearly the sin of the priests. The priests are offering blind, lame, and sick animals to God. Elsewhere in Scripture, this is clearly commanded against. The animals that are to be sacrificed to God are to be as close to perfect as possible. It would seem that out of the selfishness of the people and the selfishness of the priests, they do not want to part with their best animals. They want to give God their worst animals. Again, God uses an example involving human relationships to to help them understand. He says, present that to your governor. At this time in Israel's history, back from exile, there would be a governor set in place by the foreign superpower that Israel would report to. So if they offered blind, lame, and sick animals to their governor, what would God think? If the mayor of Shanghai came to this hotel for a meal, what kind of food would he be served? Yes, Mayor, this, this cow was sick, so we killed it. Hopefully you won't get sick too. This chicken was old and not laying eggs anymore, so we killed it. This bread is a few weeks old, so we, so we need it, someone to eat it. Of course not. This hotel would, would serve the mayor the finest food that the hotel has to offer. Maybe hire a professional chef from outside. Sometimes these human examples can help us realize what we're doing. If the priests know how to treat fathers, masters, and governors, then why is it that they would treat God in such a disrespectful way? For us today as well, do we treat God respectfully in the way that a good father should be treated, a good boss should be treated, or a good governor should be treated? Now these relationships are only aspects of our relationship with God but they're helpful in considering the respect, the fear that God deserves. Right worship involves a a respectful attitude, a a true fear of God. How do we act if we do not have a right fear of God? When we do not begin with this right fear of God, this worship comes twisted, changes from being God-focused to me-focused. Consider how Paul in the book of Romans teaches that we should offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices. As Christians, our whole lives are meant to be sacrifices to God. But just as the Israelites thought the the best animals belonged to them in our lives, we often want to keep the best for ourselves. So how do we use the, the money that God has temporarily entrusted to us? How do we use the time that God has temporarily entrusted to us? Do we act like these things belong to us, as the Israelites did? Or do we begin with a fear of God and an understanding that everything is God's? Do we try to squeeze God into a small corner of our lives and and just offer Him sacrifices that we don't want? It's a sacrifice that we don't want really a sacrifice. God is a, a kind and loving Father. He's a good and gracious Master. He's a merciful, he's a wise king. But it's so easy for us to tell God, yes, 
well, maybe you can have Sunday morning, but the rest is mine. This, this problem starts with our hearts, doesn't it? It starts with, with understanding who tr- God truly is and who we are in relation to God. Fourth in this structure, God continues to explain. God continues to point out the sin of the priests. Look again at at verses 9 to 14. In verse 10, God laments that there's no one to shut the doors of the temple. It would be better for God to receive no offerings than to receive the kinds of offerings that the priests are offering. God also speaks to how things should be. He says in verse 11, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In contrast to how the priests profane God's name, God's name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, from the east to the west, God's name will be praised. God being feared among the nations echoes Malachi 1 verse 5. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. It's also echoed in part of verse 14, in which God says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. In contrast to to who God is, in contrast to God's greatness, and him being worthy of being honored, not only in Israel, but throughout the whole world, Israel's priests are dishonoring God by the disrespect of God. The priests themselves snort, at the offerings they are making. And yet God's name will be great. And yet God's name will be feared as it should be among the nations. God will not be content with the false worship of the priests. God deserves the worship of the world. Many of you are traveling soon for a Chinese New Year, or even if you're not traveling, you're spending time with family and friends from out of town. So how will we honor God's name and honor God's reputation as we spend time with those who do not know God. Jesus has made a way for all nations to worship him. How will we as a kingdom of priests to God testify to God's greatness? May God continue to to make us more like Jesus in a way that will be evident to our non-Christian family and friends. May we also be bold in telling others that God is the great king who deserves all worship. That brings us to our second point, God's warning to the priests. God's warning to the priests. Look again with me at Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. And then skip down to verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction." The priests are are used to giving commands on behalf of God. They're responsible as well to speak God's blessings to the people. 
But here God gives the priest commands, and he warns them of a curse. Curses he will send on them if they do not repent. God says to the priests, I, I will curse your blessings. We can understand this to mean that when the priests blessed the people, God would turn these blessings into curses. So it would actually be like the priests cursing God's people. This punishment had already begun. God says, I have already cursed them. Because of the sinful attitude and actions of the priests, God had already cursed not only the priests, but the whole people of Israel. In addition to cursing the people, God says he will rebuke the offspring of the priests and he will spread dung on the faces of the priests. Now this idea of, of spreading dung on our faces is bad enough today, but remember that the priests are to avoid everything that is unclean. So spreading dung on their faces would be even more revolting to them than to you or I. There would be no way for the priests to perform their duties if there were dung on their faces or even if they had just washed up. Dung was meant to be burned outside the camp. And when it says, you shall be and you shall be taken away with it, it sounds like just as the dung will be taken outside the camp, the priests will be taken outside the camp. They are unclean. The priests will be removed from their position. Notice also in verse 8 how the priests are admonished by God for turning many aside from the way and causing many to stumble by their instruction. The priests have the responsibility to teach God's word to the people, but instead their teaching is causing people to walk away from God, not to walk with God. Their teaching is causing people to stumble. Just as the priests despised God, God will make the people despise these priests for their sins. These curses are weighty. God is clearly describing to the priests the due penalty for their lack of fear of God and their leading of God's people away from him. The priests are meant to be held to a higher standard of holiness, but instead they're leading Israel into sin. They're leading the people down a path of not worshiping God rightly. There's one sense in which as Christians today, we're all priests before God. We're all called to be holy. In First Peter, we're called a, a royal priesthood. And yet also the principle of, of teachers of God's law being judged more strictly continues on into the New Testament and the life of the church. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so it is good for those of us who, who teach God's word to consider well these warnings given to the priest. What a terrible thing it would be if, if by our attitude of not honoring God, we caused other believers to stumble. I'm so thankful that, that God has raised up more brothers, at, more and more brothers at WSBC who are able to preach on a Sunday morning. And brothers, we must watch our life and our doctrine closely. Out of a deep fear of God, we must preach God's word, not trying to please people or bring honor to ourselves. When we're given the responsibility to teach God's word, there's also the danger that we lead people astray if we teach what is wrong. There's also the danger that we cause people to stumble if we ourselves fall into sin. 
and what a sad thing that would be. And if you don't get up to preach on a Sunday morning, I imagine there, there are other ways that you are still leading or teaching. Many of you volunteer to teach the kids. Or if you're a sister who has been walking with the Lord a longer period of time, many may look to you for advice, for wisdom, for God's word, ask you to pray for them. May God strengthen you for the good work of teaching and discipleship. And may you grow in holiness and in fear of the Lord and in being an example to others. God's warning to the priests is also a warning to us. But it's good to see that, that this passage does not only include warning. God also gives a description of, of true worship. That brings us to our third point. God's picture of a true priest. Look again with me at Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. God's covenant with Levi is meant to be a covenant that continues on. Levi was one of the twelve sons of Jacob and one of the twelve tribes of Israel. The priests all came from the tribe of Levi. Here we have a description of God's blessing upon his true priests who worship him. There are echoes here of the blessing that God's priests were to pronounce on the people of Israel at the end of Numbers 6. They would say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Life and peace is what God gave to his true priest. God's true priest also feared God and stood in awe of God's name. An example of the actions of a true priest comes in Numbers 25. The Israelites were worshiping Baal with the daughters of Moab. An unrepentant Israelite man brought a worshiper of other gods, a Midianite woman home as his wife, when all Israel should have been repenting of their sin. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, took a spear and pierced through both the man and the woman. This stopped the plague that God had put on Israel for their idolatry. The Lord spoke of Phinehas as turning back his wrath from the people of Israel because Phinehas was jealous with God's jealousy. And so God said of Phinehas, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Instead of leading the people further into sin, when the Israelites sinned, Phinehas was jealous for God's name. 
and was used by God to divinely judge sinners. And so God spoke of an eternal priesthood for the offspring of Phineas, the offspring of Levi. But today, there's no Jewish priesthood, there's no temple in Jerusalem. What happened? Phineas gave us a taste of what a true priest should be like. But if we look again closer at verses 5 and 6, we see that Phineas may have partly fulfilled what a true priest should be like, but ultimately, it's Jesus Christ who fulfills God's picture of a true priest. Jesus feared his father and was obedient to his father to death. Jesus drove out thieves and swindlers from the temple out of jealousy for his father's name. True instruction was found on Jesus' mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. Unlike the religious teachers of Jesus' day, Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke what is true, for he is the very embodiment of truth. Jesus walked with God in peace and uprightness. Jesus turned many away from their sins. He ate with prostitutes and sinners, and many repented in response to his message. Levi's priesthood ended. Jesus' priesthood will never end. Even priests who offered good sacrifices in the Old Testament were doing something that simply pointed ahead to Jesus. Those good sacrifices in and of themselves were not what took away sin. Let me read for you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he is perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. The priests of Malachi's day offered blind, lame, and sick animals. But Jesus, our great high priest, offered his pure and sinless life on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It's only by this perfect sacrifice that we're able to be made clean and pure in God's eyes. This picture of what a true priest should be like is a picture for the priest to hear and to realize their sin and repent. But thank God that this picture of a true priest wasn't given only for the sake of illustration. Jesus put flesh and bones to this picture of what a true priest should be. Instead of selfishness and greed, Jesus lived in fear of God and gave up himself for sinners like you and me. Brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is for us to have a great high priest who died for us and who continues to stand before the Father on our behalf. What an encouragement that is, and may that comfort our souls. There may be times when human teachers do fail and fall, but Jesus will never fail. Jesus always sought to honor the name of his Father. May we also be people who always seek to honor God's name. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have been made holy, and we can live holy lives. 
Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can offer up our lives as living sacrifices to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that Jesus is our great high priest. Lord, we thank you for how he took our sins upon himself, how he died and rose again, how this sacrifice was, was perfect in your sight. Lord, we do pray that we would live in thankfulness for you, for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Lord, we pray that, that this would spur us on to praise you, to worship you, that this would change our hearts, that it would change the way we speak, that it would change the way we interact with one another and with those around us. Lord, would you continue to, to teach us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.